0: Welcome to the No-Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Shredded Ed, Cardio Johnny, Paul C, Matt Mork Supertroll, and Brazil Hadley, the best infotainment show around where you'll hear us joke, banter, and debunk all the nutritional myths you've heard time and time again, helping you get fit, healthy, and shredded. Welcome to the No-Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. I think... Thank um, you. I'm excited to be here. Good. I them even
1: for me, I'm yeah. interrupting you already. No, no, no,
0: no. You go go ahead. I was only going to say, right... um, like, if you ever want to listen to our back catalogue, you'll realise I get the episode number wrong every week. I think we're on episode 21. And normally I have Ed here to tell me if I'm right or wrong. But no, not here, I thought so. it was
2: episode 20. Is it? You oh. did Steve Hall's one recently, I missed, so probably 21.
0: 21, yeah. So uh, I'll double-check that. I always get it wrong. Like The annoying thing is, there's obviously a certain guru out there that got... Um, I don't know there's a lot, a lot of press is the right phrase, but basically he kind of used to infamously get a lot of his episodes wrong, and I seem to always do the same. So now... I feel like uh, I'm I'm not as good. So um, anyway, so uh, today we have a, another super special guest. So we have Laura Tilt. So hello, Laura. Obviously, I know you already said hello, but <laughs> thank you, thank you for joining. So um, thanks
1: for having me, guys.
0: No, you're uh, like um, we just for the listeners. So um, obviously, we recently met you at the uh, MNU Fat Loss Conference, where you were one of uh, mm-hmm. the guest speakers. So. That's obviously quite a, quite a privilege, I assume.
1: Yeah, and that also all the more funny because um Martin has historically not really liked dietitians, of which I am one. So uh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when he contacted me to and I thought wondered if it was a joke actually, he said he was looking for a good dietitian, which probably uh yeah. Yeah, I well, I, he's,
0: it, this. he's definitely got a bad <laughs> rep for not liking dietitians, but I think he'll say himself it's just, not dietitians he doesn't like, it's only the bad person <laughs> ones. Yeah, which... and
1: that's always like I say, there's good doctors and not so great doctors, and good dietitians and not so great dietitians, and I'm sure the same with PTs as well. So, yeah, yeah, you know. uh,
0: absolutely. Probably a lot more worse PTs than good ones, I don't know, if even that's even <laughs> English, but yeah, I'm sure there are obviously a lot, a lot bad uh, PTs compared to the, the good ones, I'm sure. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, he even had his own podcast with a dietitian, so how, how much could he really hate dietitians?
1: Yeah, he did. Actually, I know uh, Mike Sweeney, who he had his podcast yeah. with, so he's maybe a dietitian that kind of, um, yeah, little, uh, someone that is more outspoken, and rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, cool. So let's, um, actually, before we go on to your uh, background, um, I should probably introduce Matt back, because he's not been on the podcast for a while, actually, have you, mate?
2: No mate, I've been a bit bit busy,
0: bit tied up, so I thought I'd make
2: a a lovely guest appearance on a Sunday.
0: Yeah, I say jo- Johnny made his uh, reappearance last mm-hmm. week, lasted all of forty five minutes, had to leave, and now hasn't been seen again. So yeah.
2: I think uh, <laughs> we just get, get Paul C back on, and we'll be fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, the older, the older, wiser man, I should say. Although he does like tuna too much, which can't make him that wise. But no, there's anything wrong with tuna. Just and again, some inside jokes, Laura. I guess uh, you'll have to listen to the rest of the podcast to know what the hell we're talking about. and um, so let's let's find out a bit more about you. So, kind of, if you want to give us your history, your background, and let's find out about Laura.
1: Yeah. Uh. So I'm um I'm a dietitian. I work on a freelance basis, so I don't uh, haven't kind of followed the traditional route of going into, I guess, clinical or hospital work. Um, I studied nutrition for about. 10 years now I guess started off with a bachelor's uh up in Sheffield and then went on to do a master's in public health nutrition and following that I then went to do really long way around this then went on to do a postgrad in dietetics mm-hmm. um which definitely filled in a big clinical gap for me that was really good um but I guess I never really sort of felt fulfilled by the hospital role, so which is why for the last uh few years since i qualified in 2012, so I've been practicing dietitian for about five years. Um, so I work one-to-one with clients. I have a few clinics as well, um, mostly that to do with IBS. But one of the areas I've always worked in uh, ever since I started with nutrition is weight management, as I'm sure like all of you guys will have a lot of clients who uh, want to lose body fat and, um, probably when you tell them what you do, that's one of the first questions that you always get asked is what you think about a particular diet or, you know, what's the best way to lose weight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I've always been quite interested in, I would say like the, as well as like the dieting aspects. So what are the best ways to lose body fat, the most effective ways? I've always been quite interested in like the non-diet aspects of dieting. So, um, things like, CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy and habits and stuff. So, because it always seemed to me that people have a real problem sticking with diets, like no matter how good the advice is or how great the diet is, it's kind of a lot of, it seemed to be a lot of struggles. And I always felt like there were some people who, and I, like I said, no matter how much nutrition knowledge they've got, and I don't know if any of you guys experience this, that you get a client come in and they, they rattle off, like a lot of stuff about nutrition, they know a lot of stuff already, um, but it feels like they're somehow like not able to stick to it, and that's sort of how I got into um, what I'm going to talk to you about today, which is mindful eating, it was kind yeah. of off the back of the fact that I felt that there was always this, maybe like 30% of clients that I just kind of wasn't able to get through to, and they were sort of really locked in this cycle of like, being really good on a diet and then being really terrible and then being really good and being really terrible. And um, it felt quite frustrating as a practitioner. And also that I, you know, it's kind of frustrating for you when you can't help them, even though, you know, they know what they should be doing and you know what they should be doing. And so, yeah, I sort of came to that point a couple of years ago where I felt like there was something sort of missing within my practice um, and sort of came to the concept of mindful eating and, for the last couple of years, I've been using that in my practice.
0: Yeah, but, sure, yeah. sure. No, that's um, something I took away from the first MNU conference I went to, actually, in, uh, was in March. It must be March, wasn't it? Um, yeah, back in March. Like, basically, like you always think you always get taught about macros, calories, energy balance, all that sort of stuff. But actually, what I, what I took away from the first one was exactly what you just said. Like, none of it really matters to a certain extent. Obviously, energy energy balance mm. matters, but the biggest thing is, like just. Finding someone to actually stick to a diet and an adherence—that's like, yeah, it doesn't matter as long as you're not going to stick to it. Then none of the rest really matters. So, and that, that was what. I took well, somebody away
1: from that. said to me about, you know, what's the best diet, and I'm like, it's the one you can stick to. Because in reality, you know, if you're, you know, whether they all the diets work, it's mm. you know, and if and if your goal is fat loss, then really you're not going to be, and it's effective, you won't be following that diet for a long time. And then you know, afterwards, you'll go onto a diet that's maybe, like, good for like longevity or like yeah, whatever yeah. your goal is after that. But. Um, I think we kind of, like you said, we get caught up sometimes in arguing about which is the best diet. When yeah, in reality, it's all about, you know, which. Why Why are you not adhering to it? Or like say.
2: people arguing about, I guess the the perfect diet is. no real perfect diet, right? It's all inter individual. Um,
1: yeah, and the diet for like, you know, take IBS. Like the diet for IBS is like completely different to, you know, people who are saying like, oh, but I thought this was healthy, or in the same way that a diet for. Like living a long life is probably not the same diet as you know one like for cancer prevention. The same, they're all different. Depends yeah, on what your yeah. goals are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the things. Like we all we all um, we all argue about certain ways, which is the best way. How much protein should you eat? How much carbohydrates should you eat? But actually, again, you know, to uh, other than calories, it's just, it kind of doesn't matter to a certain extent. It's just about what suits you as an individual, isn't it?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Cool. So you mentioned that uh we wanted you to talk about mindful eating so what is mind- mm. or what is mindfulness
1: yeah you kind of have to go back really um to understand mindful eating you have to understand what mindfulness is so i used to think it meant having an empty mind <laughs> or like being able to like clear your mind and be in this almost zen-like state um which now i know that that's not what it is but i think a lot of us Think that sort of being mindful is just kind of having this like clear mind with nothing going through it but he uh, ever want to look at mindfulness there's a guy called John Kabat-Zim and he's sort of the father of mindfulness um, and he describes mindfulness as just bringing your attention to the present moment so we're all being quite mindful now and I can like I'm here and I can feel like my bum's on the chair and I'm kind of aware of my voice talking but quite a lot of the time we're on autopilot so you're wandering down the road but you're not even like taking in the scenery because your mind is like oh my god I've got to talk to that client or you know thinking about what someone asked you at the gym that day or whatever it is um and the same thing so you know you might be on a bus like scrolling through your phone and you've arrived at a destination you're not even sure how you got there because you're not in the present moment your mind is elsewhere
0: I was going to say a bit like when you're Um, driving you just end up at your destination mm. you don't remember how you got there it's like you've just been on a pilot turning roads and you didn't even know you'd done them
1: exactly do it all and the time yeah and ha- quite a lot of our or maybe you've kind of it's even sort of when you sort of have it maybe you're doing like a run or something and your mind is elsewhere and you've not really been present and or <clears> if, <you've throat> had, if you're talking to someone and your mind is thinking about what you're going to reply rather than actually paying attention to what they're saying mm-hmm. so it's all about bringing your attention like to how the present moment say thoughts feelings how your body bodily sensations um, and then I de- like being aware of your thoughts, but not following them. So the normal thing is like, oh, like oh, dinner, yeah, hungry. And then what am I going to have for dinner? And then kind of planning it in your head, and you sort of jumped on a thought, and you're two weeks down, you know, two weeks into the future. So mindfulness is about becoming aware of all the things that are going on for you at that moment, but not necessarily like attaching yourself to something and, and going off into the future. Does that yeah, make yeah. sense?
2: it <laughs> Makes sense actually. And I, just before we jump into, I guess the, the mindful eating stuff. I have to admit, before we listen to your talk, probably my view was, how do I put this? I probably was like pretty dismissive of mm. that kind of mindfulness stuff. And um, you know, there's a lot of self-help books and stuff like that that float about, and a lot of people working to be reading x number of different ones, and it seems to be a bit of a trend. But actually, the things that came across in that talk, and I guess we'll get onto that shortly, were things that. I think really would help with uh, my client base in terms of gen pop um, and even myself, like some of the things you said during your talk to stuff that I know I do. So like eating my desk, always have a laptop in front of me, Mm. like constantly on my phone. Like I'll be like that and just, you know, not really paying attention. Um, And just like like I joked about with Brizzle before we joined, I had two minutes before the, uh, before we Skype called you and I was just slamming back some cereal, just Mm-hmm. mindless mind uh <laughs> but yeah i mean I, it was good so i guess for those listening it'd be good to make sure you listen and take on board You're like don't dismiss openly um and don't let your own bias get in the way
0: i think that's very important yeah massively cuz concur with that something you know meditation mindfulness all that sort of stuff it just it just feels a bit hippie, a bit airy fairy and obviously, mm. a bit like in, and having a closed mind is just not a good way to start with it because you're never going to get it. And I'll be honest, like it was, I, I absolutely concur with Matt that like, before you started speaking, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to kind of get from it. But like I spoke to you afterwards and said, like yours was probably the one that I took the most from, or the most applicable stuff as well. Like, of all the talks on the day, so um, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no I yeah. said that to everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's
1: good. I think I knew, I kind of knew I had a tough job really because. I thought that there'd be like maybe 30% of people that would, or maybe not even less than that maybe, that would kind of have an experience of it already maybe quite into it. And then 30% who would be sort of on in the middle and then 30% who probably just wouldn't be interested at all. And And also like mindfulness has become a bit of a buzzword now. So everywhere you see, you know, be mindful, we should be, you know, mindfulness is kind of a, a bit of a, seen as a treatment or a remedy for everything. So it yeah. becomes really easy just to think of it as, you know another kind of uh another like passing fad and i certainly when i also because the concept is really simple and you know when i was going through the stuff with you guys about stuff that you can do with clients it sounds so basic that you're like how does this work and all i can say is the the best thing to do when we start talking through some of the techniques is to try it yourself because then you start to see how powerful it is and um and then when you start using it with clients, so I'm still amazed at how how much it can help them change. Yeah. And um, but I think if you kind of come at it and think, oh, it's just it's just too simple, you know, then you um you need to kind of I mean, be aware of that idea, <laughs> stick yeah. with it, be mindful of it, S- but sim- don't kind of no, it- jump on it and assume that that is the case.
0: Yeah. So I was just gonna say because simple, even if people do think it's simple, doesn't mean simple is not effective.
1: Hmm. Well, so, look. But- just keep that kind of like keep it simple stupid and like you know it it actually does work really well and I think also with mindfulness like I said I came to it god probably a few years ago when I was going through like quite a stressful time in London and I thought oh this just means that you have to like sit and have no thoughts at all and and for me that's why when I tried it before it didn't work so I, I went to a meditation center in Crouch M where I lived where I was living at the time and all I thought about was I think the dinner and like what I had to do the next day. And I was like, I'm a complete failure at this. I can't do it. Um, and then I, I think I told you guys the story in the, in the talk that I ended up in a meditation retreat and it was, and I'm not suggesting that for everybody, but the point was only by doing it every day for a short period of time, I realized that actually it's not about that at all, but you kind of, start to get the benefits when you do it over and over again, which is like any habit, right? The more often you do it, the more it becomes automatic and absolutely. part of who you are. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So just so what what aren't So how how does this mindfulness relate to obviously mindful eating then? So mm.
1: So most of our eating is done on autopilot. So I don't know if any of you guys have already picked up a couple of examples of that, but um So most of our eating choices are done on autopilot under the influence of habits um, or under the influence of emotions. So most of the food choices we make in a day are completely mindless. Um, I don't know if any of you guys or the listeners, are aware of the work of like Brian Wanzink and all the stuff that he does in the Cornell lab. And sort of um, looking at the fact that we supposedly make 200, 300 food decisions a day and say, how many of those are you aware of and how many of those are you present for as well? And some sometimes it's really helpful to be on autopilot and so you're like, I'm, you know, choosing these oats and that's what I have every day and that's what I do. It helps you to maybe like stick with a nutrition plan. But other habits, other habits you're eating isn't helpful. So like you come home from work and the first thing you do is like pop a beer from the fridge or like you stick your hand like in the biscuit tin every time you go to make a cup of tea. Or other habits like you always eat your breakfast at your computer and how many times have you had the experience of like your spoon hits the bottom of the bowl and you're like where did that go like i wasn't even here when that was happening and um they've done experiments where they sit people in cinemas and give them like a bag of popcorn and the popcorn's stale and they don't even know because they're, they're not even present when they're eating it they're not even really tasting it there's just like to mouth action
2: yeah that's a really good example i i, I know i do that well used to do that so I don't buy popcorn anymore for that very reason mm. just because I share it with my behalf and then before I know it I've eaten most of it
1: yeah and you probably also you feel, I feel you feel a bit sad <laughs> like where did that food go like I wasn't even here for that and um you know, I think another experiment they did was with soup bowls, and they kept they kept filling them up from the bottom of the table, and so people get eating because for most of us, the only cue to stop eating is when our plate's empty, right? It doesn't have anything to do with how full you know when we when we change from being sort of hungry to satisfied. The only cue to stop eating is when our plate's empty. And on top of all of that stuff, we're then bombarded constantly from the minute you walk out to the door for reasons to eat. So you walk past a bakery, you smell something really nice. Your colleague comes in with sweets from like whatever country they've been to. Um, It's one o'clock. So then everyone's breaking for lunch. Then you break for lunch, too. So you're kind of constantly bombarded all the time for triggers to eat outside of your own regulatory systems, which is like being hungry and being Mm -hmm. satisfied and i think probably this is normal right do you guys agree yeah so
2: i guess me and brizal both work in the corporate world outside of nutrition um, so i work in central london in a, an office environment and it doesn't matter what day it is like if i walk past the banks of death it's always like treats they call them like holiday treats or birthday treats <laughs>
0: or you bought a new house treats or i fancy cookie, so i went to lunch and bought a bag of cookies treats <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have a cookie, so I want everyone else one to have one so I feel good about it, treats. Um, so, yeah, certainly. And I think, like you said, like just out of habit, sometimes you walk past and you just pick up some of those food. And before you know it, you've every time you go past, that kind of really mm. adds up to a massive kind of calorie intake just from a small amount of snacks. And you probably don't even realise because you're just you're picking, right? Picking food doesn't really count.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, all, we all say, like, you know, we have, we have clients who say, yeah, but I'm just—I'm not eating that much. Like I—and—and and they may genuinely think they're not eating that much, but it's all these little bits, you know, like you finish something from the kids' plates, or like it's the bit of toast that you eat that you're buttering when you're—you know—your dinner's getting ready. That you forget, and we get at eating amnesia when we're distracted. Studies show that if you're distracted when you're doing those things, you forget about them later. So it mm. might not be that you're genuinely not admitting to these things, but you've forgotten them. Mm. And I think we should realise that a certain amount of mind, mindless eating is totally normal. But the more often you do it, the more often, the more likely you are to sort of to become overweight. Yeah. And also the more disconnected you get from your own internal systems, which help you to regulate your food intake. Yeah. So when, if, if either of you got kids or if any of your listeners have got kids, when you're weaning a baby, as soon as they've had enough, they'll turn their head away. They're like, Mm-mm. because they, we, when we grow up, we learn to eat because we're hungry, and then we stop when we've had enough. But gradually, as we get older, we learn to override those systems. So we start eating, you know, as a reward. Like, we get, we start, we eat pudding, like, as a treat after we finish our vegetables, or we learn to override these systems. Mm. And so that plus the combination of, like, being distracted when we eat, we kind of end up in a state where we're eating for so many reasons, other than, like, the the good reasons, which is for hunger, that we sort of end up in a state where we become we can become overweight and develop sort of more unhealthy relationships with food.
0: Yeah, that's, it's funny you touched on that because one of the questions I wanted to ask was around all, exactly the example you just brought up. So at the moment, I am horrible at allowing food waste. So if my wife mm. eats anything, I eat it. I, and, mm. then, and I've got a 14-week-old. I'm trying to think how old she was now. 14-week-old now. And obviously not on to <laughs> <me. laughs> I know that's horrible and I was trying think, oh she's fourteen yeah, fourteen weeks. Um <laughs> shit, but shit, obviously she's not into weaning yet, but one of the things that I not not concerned about, but I thought about was what mm. happens when she starts eating and inevitably, for the exact reason you just said, kids leave food constantly. Like I've got i I've mm. got a niece and a nephew who are four and five and they are always leaving food. And like I know I'm not sure whether and I'm sure this is something hopefully a lot of people relate to, which is what I want to bring up, is that it's that easy to just put it in the bin and just waste it effectively it's like food waste because obviously you're brought up to think like oh don't waste yeah. food um you know eat all the stuff that's on your plate you know don't you're not leaving the dinner table till it's gone that kind of scenario so I, one of the questions i was going to ask and i don't know whether it's, we're getting onto it a bit too early but because you brought up an example i thought it's worth mm-hmm. touching on my question was going to be well how do you stop that happening
1: uh, with the food waste but yeah i think it's a really it's one that comes up a lot especially because we've kind of grown up yeah being told like don't waste the food so you kind of go past like you like even if you've had enough you're like I'm gonna finish it and for a lot of people it happens when they eat out because then there's that sense of losing money as well Mm. I'm paying for it so Mm. I want to eat it and um one of the kind of things that we discuss, like within mindful Eating is actually just if you're in a restaurant situation like asking to take it home and it's and it's really weird because it was a thing for me as well. So when I was practicing the Mindful Eating stuff, I remember going out and I'm like, I don't want to leave this pizza. Like, apart from the fact that I really enjoy it. Yeah. I don't want to, like, I paid money for that. And so there's it's definitely like a mental aspect to it there. So, But if you actually take it away, it's really weird. It kind of loses the power. So you'll quite often find that, When you get at home, you actually have no desire to eat it, but then you can go on to eat it the next day. Um, And then you kind of had a sort of had the conversation about whether actually it's food waste or whether it's waste like putting that waste into your body really because it is waste if you don't need the calories and you're sort of overfeeding yourself. And I guess with sort of portion sizes at home, it's just like a bit of trial and error because at the end of the day, like when someone else is serving you food, it's guesswork, right? They don't know when you last ate, they don't know how hungry you are and for some of us it's you know okay there's all the websites like love food hate waste and kind of ideas for using up food and i I guess you can do things like with veggies like save them all and then throw them into soup and that type of thing Mm -hmm. but it may just be a bit of a balancing act of like gradually getting to know what the right portion sizes are
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm very much a bit biased towards things like the um if it fits your macros diet and stuff so I tend to kind of be very much okay with my own portions it's just kind of that scenario of cleaning up other people's um yeah which inevitably I don't then count as in my macros <laughs> it's, it's funny it's funny you say that and obviously we
2: tend to track food just because that's who we are um recognizing our own bias but I you're better than that Matthew it's not who you are <laughs> but, yeah I tend to have or do something which is just weird but like I will always save some calories because I know how much my calories are for the day just and I call it the the charlotte buffer and it's purely when my other half doesn't finish her food I know I've got that that calories for when I finish hers whether that's a, <laughs> a sensible or even a healthy approach to food I very much doubt it but it's kind of what works for me for that second reason Brizzle, I don't like that, that notion of throwing food away but just to touch on what you were saying about the taking food away um what I did notice was I used to live in Canada and in Canada the you go to a restaurant and the the default is if you don't finish your food they box it up for you so out there I noticed that a lot of us wouldn't finish the meals like we were just you know especially because we were skinned but more so because they would box it up and you take the box home and then you'd have a meal for the next day whereas Mm. here that's not really it's becoming a bit more common but you don't really get doggy bags in a lot of places Mm. um without asking yeah.
0: it's common in america like america will almost always ask you do you want to take that away with you won't they the same thing but yeah not so much and free.
2: i mean it was weird because a lot of us would just by default save like half our food for that reason and um, yeah just an observation i guess from that, that point you were making around taking food home
1: and it's not like when you if you've never done it before feels a bit weird but actually after a couple of times you're like it's not you know it's not so weird and actually if it means that i Sometimes it's quite nice, right? If you're not, if you're eating whatever it is just to finish the plate, and it, it leaves you feeling really uncomfortable. Kind of when you've changed, tuned into that feeling, you're like, it's really not nice at all. Then, if you decide to take the food away, if it is something like pizza or a food you really enjoy, you get to eat it again the next day, and then you kind of can shift your mindset around it a little bit. It's just trying something different. But I mean, obviously, it's not solved the obesity problem in America. <laughs> Maybe it would be, uh, it would be good, like if more of us tried it here.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe not America. I don't know America versus Canada, <laughs> but well, I was living in a ski resort, so I guess people
0: there are very active. So a bit, mm. of, a, bit of a slanted view, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, we, you've, you've obviously touched on a lot of the the pitfalls, I suppose, of mm. not being mindful when you're eating. But so what? Uh, and I guess you know the the thing about taking your food away is, is a bit of a strategy to kind of work against it, But what are some of the other things that you would implement with people to help them be more mindful and maybe like the benefit it would then have on them.
1: Yeah, so I guess just to sort of go back slightly is like the the reason that mindful eating helps. So if you think about the fact that most of our eating is done on autopilot and although a certain amount of that is normal when it becomes like the default, that's when we tend to get these problems because we're not kind of we're not we're eating for reasons other than hunger. and We're eating for all these other triggers in our day. The reason mindfulness helps is because it breaks that autopilot and it creates a space between trigger and a response so just say that like you've had a really bad day and then or you know you're having a really stressful afternoon and your normal it just normally what you ha- happens is you go and hit the chocolate machine like when you start doing mindful practice or when you start being more mindful you become aware of that feeling like okay I'm feeling really stressed or angry and it kind of creates a bit of space for you to be able to think right well now I kind of sense I want to go get some chocolate and it gives you a space between the trigger and the response um so it's breaking the autopilot and when you've you've created awareness because what's interesting is when you start getting clients to do mindful eating they'll come back to you after a couple of weeks and say oh my goodness I've realized that I always eat when Mm -mm -mm." and so once they've started to recognize it they then get the choice about what to do and that's what's really great about mindful eating is that they are not relying on you for that regulation Mm -hmm. they are actually learning it themselves and I think you know one of the things you want to do with your clients is empower them right so they're not always you know ringing you like hey oh my god what's happening and, and to begin with a certain amount of that is normal but over time you want to try and give them as many skills as possible and this really enables responsibility but you can't change something until you're aware of it mm. so probably loads of their eating is done on, on autopilot it's done in response to like stress or habit or emotion the first thing you're going to do is get them to be more aware of that by increasing mindfulness and then once they're aware of it they can start making a conscious choice about whether they eat or not um, or whether they can use another coping strategy and the other thing is that if there was nothing else that mindfulness did mindfulness reduces stress and lazy people eat for stress so if you're reducing the stress you're reducing the stress eating so that's really good and i think you said like why might people benefit from mindful eating i would say you enjoy your food more like, you know, we were talking about like your spoon here and the other you're like, where did that go? Or like I ate all that popcorn, but I didn't really taste it at all. So one of the benefits is that you enjoy your food more. Um, but I think for the main benefit for people is that it helps their eating to feel less out of control. So quite often people will say like they feel that their eating is happening to them. You know, like if they're sort of having a binge or an off day um or they go to a restaurant and suddenly they're like I don't know what happened it was like hand to mouth it all went wrong <laughs> and then they're left on the other side a bit like Homer Simpson like lying stream <laughs> of donuts. Yeah. like what happened um and so it sort of it breaks that cycle and helps them to feel more in control
0: yeah I think that's quite common that last point because I mean I've had a client recently that went away on holiday and albeit um he was um count calories count macros because it was his choice to do that so he knew kind of what allowance he had, and I'd purposely increase that to make sure he enjoyed his holiday and have a diet break. Um, that actually caused him to do exactly what you've just said, and just actually just lost control. So I think just having that extra freedom that we'd been used to dieting, he probably got himself in a bit of a groove of dieting as well. But having that mm. extra freedom just couldn't stop once the once the button was on, even though he had a limit, just couldn't stop. So I wonder how much of that, and obviously I've not I've not got into so much of the conversation around why that happened yet, because it's fairly recently actually, but. Um, it'd be interesting to know how much of it is around the same similar principles of whether it was because you're on holiday and um, I, don't know, I don't know if that would then cause, I mean obviously logically you think maybe on holiday you should be a bit more relaxed, you should be a bit more mindful but I don't know, maybe it wasn't, maybe that's part of the reason why I kind of went crazy, I don't know
1: I just think when you, <coughs> under this is what normally happens, is that someone goes on a diet and if it's under great conditions so like they're measuring all their food and everything's kind of well controlled, that can go on for quite a long time and what yeah. tends to throw people off is like going out for a meal or it's their birthday or they have a big event and then all these foods that were kind of like off limits are suddenly there and available in unlimited quantities and the natural thing is i must get as much of this now as possible because then i won't be allowed it again Mm. and so again you're not kind of eating for hunger and stopping when you're satisfied you're just eating like because you think that this is going to be off limits again at some point It's that last supper effect yeah exactly it's that kind of like all or nothing thinking and actually, mindfulness is, again, it breaks that because you're like, it kind of breaks that cycle. And one of the good things that I noticed with clients is that they started things that would normally really freak them out. So the thought of going for a meal or a restaurant, you know, that you'd have to kind of coach them through. They suddenly we would feel way more in control. Like, actually, I realized that I don't have to eat everything. And that's really, you know, that's, that's pretty major, I think, as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think one of one of the things you brought up in the talk, in the conference, was around kind of that 80% full feeling, so just, I think yeah. the, the mindfulness, I don't know if you want to just talk through that concept, If you, mm. you, so the kind of, I think the example you gave was kind of you're eating your lunch, and you're watching, I know you've said about it, but you're obviously watching your laptop or whatever, and you kind of miss that 80% mark.
1: Yeah, so um, when I ask most people why they stop eating, they say because I'm full, or the plate's empty, and that's. Probably that would always have been the same for me as well. Um, and I can send you a picture afterwards, but it's like a, it's called the six phases of eating. So it, it separates eating into like six different phases um, where most of us would be like, well, eating starts and then it stops when the plate's empty. <laughs> this is like, no, it actually starts when you decide to eat. And then there is a, a stage where you move from being hungry to being satisfied. And that happens before you feel full. And I don't know about you guys, but I never used to know what that felt like. Like it's, uh, I think uh, I, I sort of nicknamed it like the unicorn state.
2: <laughs> I think I totally agree with that. I've, even personally now, just thinking about myself, let alone clients, just like I'm done when my plate's done. And like mm. usually if I scrape my plate off.
0: <laughs> so I'm not even done when my plate's done half the time. Like I constantly <laughs> chase that stuff feeling sometimes. you mm. like, constantly chase that feeling like I'm not, not satisfied. I want to feel physically full. Mm
1: yeah and that's that's kind of a condition that a lot of us i don't want to say like striped but that's what we're used to and that's Mm. kind of our signal for being having had enough and i would say that like again very occasionally like occasionally it's okay to like to want that feeling and sometimes that can be quite comforting or we're kind of deliberately eating to that state but when you're doing it all the time that's when it's more likely to be a problem because you're overeating Mm. and um so yeah the reason that it's important the best way to be able to identify when you move from that phase from being hungry to satisfied is to eat your meal by doing nothing else mm. because as I'm not going to kind of go into it too much if you want to read about it online just kind of google distracted eating but basically when your attention is on two things you've, you're not really with either of them so you you miss the signals that tell you that you fall so that's why I, I do it all the time if I go into clinic and I'm eating like oats out of a you know jar or something and i get to the end of it and i'm like well not only did i have like no awareness of that i can't i don't even know my full am i not am i they just went in i had no attention there at all mm. so um i would say to people the fact if they want to try this out is to choose one meal like in a day and just do nothing else while they're eating and just pay like full attention to the meal and just kind of pay attention and see what happens um see what it feels like a to eat without doing anything else because most people find it's really difficult and you probably will find that you don't want to do it either (laughs) which is usually a good indication of that it's an important thing to try um and just have the experience of um get like halfway through your plate and then just stop eating and just for a minute or two like tune into how your body feels and it's quite weird because it's this i'm not hungry but i'm not i'm not stuffed and that's, it's a really strange yeah. thing to kind of experience, but um, it's a way of starting to tune into how much your body needs at a certain time. Yes. And I personally found it really disappointing, like, how little I needed to eat to actually be satisfied. Um, and that doesn't mean I always eat only that amount. But I think it's about you've got, you've got that power then, right? Because then it's up to you. You decide whether you want to keep eating or not.
2: Yeah, I suppose you can choose choose your moments, then, can't you? Social occasions yeah. and meals yeah. and stuff like that. Too. But if you have control yeah. of that, then it's it's your choice. It's not a choice that's out of your your hands. So I guess the power's back with the person dieting.
1: Exactly, and that's the thing. Like mindfulness enables conscious choice. So they're not saying like, "Well, I just you know, I just I started eating and then I was full." It's like I got to that point, and then I was like, "Actually, I am going to continue eating, but I'm making that choice." And then it's back to their responsibility again. So that's why it's also really powerful. Mm.
2: Yeah, Actually, it's just funny that I just uh, thinking back to certain things, and I, when I think about people that I think do that naturally, so you, you know, there's always the one or two people that kind of will never finish their plate and are very almost aware of their food without <clears throat> forcing it. They they always tend to be, you know, like the healthy body weight and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I, I can think of, you know, one or two people in my office certainly who are, I'd say, natural mindful eaters for one of a better yes. term. But oh, yeah
1: put a few notes down here before I started speaking to you you. And um, I put one of my things was like, watch people who are slim because they tend to eat mindfully naturally. Mm. And um, my sister, um, she's never had a weight problem. She eats really slowly, but she will also, she'll probably, she leaves like varying amounts of food on her plate, but she won't eat past the point of being, of having had enough. She'll sort of push her her plate away and say, I've had enough. And I would look at her and say like, yeah, uh, but you know this bit yeah. and she and it's quite funny when you start observing other people and who you might think oh they they look like effortlessly slim you'll see that probably they are quite naturally in tune yeah. with things like hunger and satiety. Yeah. I, yeah, I
2: was, was going to say of a few people right now actually just like the very like you said very slow eaters or uh, one line I know they'll they'll take a bite and I see them put like like you've talked about they'll put their fork down and they'll they're not doing anything else they're not typing away on the laptop or yeah I was there gonna- are, Sorry, they're on the sixth floor canteen at a table rather than
0: at your desk at your desk yeah I was going to say do you think it correlates with time of eating to body weight so as in like how fast or slow you eat compared to body weight
1: um I might I don't know I definitely think there's something in it like if you're slowing down your eating like also you I'm sure you guys have talked about in your lectures like the kind of you know when you're eating and you're um stomach and your small intestine start um the receptors recognize like fats and carbohydrates yeah. coming in like they'll send messages up to your brain and that's yes. kind of uh, you know to do with the hormones so the the slower you eat the kind of more chance you're getting for that to happen yes. and the other thing i would say is that if you ever finished eating and felt okay and then 20 minutes later you feel like way more full even though you've eaten nothing else that should be a good indication of like why it's quite helpful to slow down Is yeah. <laughs> it's because <laughs> It's always weird. You're like, well, I felt fine like ten minutes ago, and now I'm like literally having to unbutton my pants. Like I need to like long body for a bit. <laughs> and actually, when that happens, you sort of realise that um, your sort of your brain's caught up with your stomach.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's there's food environment playing to that. So not necessarily food, right? But you know, luckily, I think we sit down most nights and have a meal at the table. Um, but I know lots of friends literally grab something, and have it in front of the TV. I'm assuming that kind of environment as well, having sitting down, having a proper meal, putting the efforts to put cutlery and stuff out. Yeah. That whole act of being aware of going into that meal, I guess, would help. Um, Yeah. So I think,
1: yeah, so I think, it's really difficult because social eating play is really important. And like Brazil did their health, their healthy eating guidelines I think a few years ago and they, they weren't nutrition based at all. They were all things like sit down with the family and make time for food. It was really nice. They were all habitual behaviours. Um, so social eating plays a really important part in like child's development and um, uh, kind of uh, family structure. It's really difficult to eat mindfully when you're in a social environment. I will say that. So when you're chatting and your attention, again, is on like conversation, especially, you know, if you're in a buffet situation, you're like, Mm -hmm. I've got absolutely no concept of how much I've eaten like at all because I've just been going hand to mouth while I've been chatting. So one of the things I sometimes suggest to clients there that they before they start chatting and kind of getting involved in the conversation is to kind of like do a bit of a body scan, think about how hungry they are. And put an amount of food on their plate that they think they want before they start chatting. And at least then they've kind of made that conscious decision then, and then to sort of eat and maybe check in halfway through. Um, but again, just sort of having, when you're doing like shared style eating and you're chatting because your attention's in a few places. You're less likely to notice when you're when you're full as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great idea because um, I'm already picturing like the social occasions where you have like your bread and your olives out and
1: you're mm. chatting
0: away and you're just picking <laughs> a beer and the next thing you pick another beer and then like well, none, was, none of it's clocked.
2: That was like last weekend we um, <laughs> we went out for my past thirtieth and it was a like Gaucho restaurants electro brunch so all you can eat and all you can drink. I have no idea what I ate
0: mm. at all. Like. You're probably best not knowing now as well. <laughs> 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 it was, it was Excellent food. <laughs> yeah. Tons But
1: that's a that's a really good strategy because a lot of some of the challenges that people say is like it's really hard though to eat mindfully socially. And I'm like, Yeah, it's and also you don't want to be like dictatorish about this. You don't have to eat mindfully all the time. But so there'll be you know, when you're going out to eat and it's someone's birthday, you're not gonna want to. But if a client is kind of wondering about how to navigate that, sort of saying to them, okay, before you start eating, put what you intend to eat on your plate and then only go back for seconds if you are genuine, if you've kind of checked in and you're genuinely still hungry.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I guess that goes back to your earlier point though, right? Giving back the power to make that decision so you, you can choose to ignore, you know, the ability to control that intake for something like a social occasion or you mm. you can do it mindfully. Um, it's, yeah, it's really interesting actually.
0: No, it is. It's, I mean, that, that is really interesting because obviously we, like, it's almost like giving them that power is going to motivate them probably to stick to a diet rather than because it's almost like if you give someone the ability to make a choice, they're probably more likely to make the better choice anyway. Whereas if you restrict yeah. them, they'll probably just rebel and pick. Well, up I guess it's almost
2: risk. it's almost an evolution of. I guess if you look at the fitness industry, you had the ultra clean eating stuff for a while. You know, there's a bit of iffy, fiction macro stuff, but I guess non-restrictive eating, as in trying to not label food as good and bad, stuff like that gives you a bit more choice and means flexible, you're not off yeah. yeah, you're not off of a you're not off or on a diet. And I guess the same with you know, if you can build that in with mindful eating as well, that's even more powerful.
0: Yeah, because it kind of mirrors the rigid versus flexible dieting research that's been done around rigid dieting obviously having far more like attrition rates of dieting because obviously like you say, the whole well, one of the ones they've obviously um I can't remember, it's quite a recent study, I think, about the one group had bread, one couldn't even have the same um I don't know if it's an ad or not, I can't remember now, but... It
2: was ad Lib? I know the way you
0: talk about it. <clears throat> yeah, but just the fact they got told they can't have bread, they all just binged and craved because they were told, even they could have any other carbohydrate or anything else they want, they just couldn't have bread.
1: Mm. It it yeah, isn't it's, it? it's, yeah, it's re- and I think mindset eating works particularly well with people who have been through that cycle of like on-off, on-off, on-off. Because when you are restricting foods, you can never have whatever it is, fill in the box. When they break that, it's not about being hungry or not. It's literally about eating as much of that food as possible yeah. before it becomes off-limit again. But now if you told them that they can have anything they want, but the, rule, the rules or the guidelines are that they should eat when they're hungry and stop when they're satisfied, like you just won't overeat because if you are adhering with those things, it just doesn't happen. And I think some of the concerns that people have is that I will just... I will eat all the rubbish stuff and I will just binge eat if you allow me to just eat those guidelines. But what's really interesting is that clients will come back and say, I've really noticed it's so uncomfortable when I do overeat, I actually don't want to do it. And that's, yes. you know, but again, it's not until they bring awareness to it, they realise it's actually, you know, if, I think there's a saying which is, um, if you're eating for comfort and it becomes uncomfortable, like what's the point?
0: Yeah yeah so it's so yeah. a, bit, a bit of an oxymoron isn't it but that yeah. I guess that's
2: the thing you talked about where you know you've had something and it means I, I call it the oh, fuck it moment where mm. if you've had something you're like oh do you know what so this, I'm off diet um and someone I used to used to coach me years ago someone called Heather she she likens it to dropping your phone and you pick it up and it hasn't smashed but then throwing the phone back on the floor to make sure it's properly smashed you know yeah. the little initial drop or little you know slip on your diet is not really a problem it's the subsequent actions afterwards that cause the issues so
1: yeah and yeah. even with with mindfulness as well like even if you're having one of those moments like again you can kind of break because quite often people say like I start eating something and then they just feel like they can't stop and kind of when you start being more mindful like they can actually break it and they can actually kind of put a bit of space and at any point choose to put it down the fork and be like actually I'm done you know I'm good
0: so just I don't yeah. know, I don't know if we've got gone into enough detail or not, but so how does one actually be more mindful then? So are they kind of specific techniques other than just kind of I know we've often used the tip of just eat a meal on yes. your own, not doing anything. Is there anything else people so I'm kind of thinking like maybe a scenario or an example might be I am at nighttime in the kitchen, face first in a box of cereal, and I can't stop myself taking grab handfuls after handfuls. How do I be more mindful in that scenario and think, whoa, what am I doing? I've got to stop shoving this in my mouth.
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing to do is, so if you don't have a mindfulness practice already, it's quite useful to start one. So you could choose something like the Headspace app. I don't know if you guys have used it. Mm-hmm. It's like a free kind of 14 day introduction into mindfulness or just even start when you're brushing your teeth or like any, at any point in the day where you notice that your mind is like, you know, zooming off at a thousand miles an hour just kind of um do you remember i said to you about the four questions so like what am i thinking what am i feeling how is my breathing Mm -hmm. if you just ask yourself those questions you brought yourself into the present moment so if you just start doing that a few times a day or even tuning into your breathing a few times a day you're starting to bring more mindfulness Mm -hmm. into your day and then in terms of the stopping the triggers thing i'd probably go back one uh, step and just say for the just Try, try this for three days, which is just every time you go to eat, ask yourself the question, am I hungry, yes or no? And if you just keep a note of that in the note section off your phone, and it can just be like a Y or an N um, and a time. And then after three or four days, you'll have like so much information <laughs> that you won't even, you know, your client will come up with so much information because they'll be like, wow, I've noticed that like 60% of the time when I'm going to eat, I'm not even hungry. So first of all, like you're bringing awareness to it. And then the next question to ask yourself is, like, what am I? If I'm not hungry but I'm going to eat, like, with that cereal scenario, like, okay, am I hungry, yes or no? So straight away you've, like, broken the hand-to-mouth. And then the next question you ask yourself is, like, like, so what am I? You know, like, and you might not be able to put a label on it. It might be, like, I'm bored, I'm tired, I'm angry or pissed off or whatever. Or you might not be able to bring anything to it. Um, There's the one-minute rule where, like... (laughs) you literally like put it down and you walk out the room because quite often when we're on autopilot like there's no if you don't have a break like you you don't get to make a decision so the the whole thing is like putting a physical break in it so even if like you've got your mouth like you're halfway into a donut it's to literally put the food down and walk out of the kitchen or wherever it is just to kind of create that space and then you'll normally find after like one or two minutes if you ask yourself the question again do i want to go on eating the answer is no that you've like physically made that space for yourself.
0: No, I think they're yeah. really, really good, really good tips. Um, Just a, uh, I I guess, one question I had, do you, is this
2: something you use with all your clients or is it something you pick and choose? Is it something you slowly introduce over time?
1: Uh, it's not something I use with all my clients. Uh, I would say that, so you, I probably expect that you guys do the same. So when you have a client, first of all, you ask them about their dieting history. And I would say if they reel off like 30 diets to you or if they say that they have had a problem with, I also have a section in my kind of assessment, which asks them if there's any eating habits they want to address and things on there are things like distracted eating, um, emotional eating or eating when I'm bored or tired, uh, eating in front of the computer. And so if I see a lot of those boxes ticked, I've kind of already like pegged in my mind that they might be someone that is is may benefit from mindful eating. I think, like anything, you have to get their buy-in. So um, approaching it, so sort of saying to them some of the things that they've highlighted or you think that it might be helpful for them to try some mindful eating practices, you can always kind of send them a bit of an article to read to see if they sort of buy into it. Um, And then I would literally start with probably um, just themselves asking if they're hungry or not and just ask them to do it for two or three days and then come back to you and let them – let you know what they've learned, um, and from there, you can move on to different things like the hunger scale, like a non distracted meal. Um, uh, uh, what else can they do? Of oh, so like, yeah. well. I guess it's food almost food like, on the plate.
2: You're, you're almost introducing some of those concepts without labeling it as such,
1: yeah. And I think you just have to do one thing at a time because sometimes you'll say, you know, just getting them to ask, Am I hungry or not? You don't even have to tell them anything else, like, quite often, they'll come back to you and say. Okay, I've noticed that this happens at four o'clock every day. Or I've noticed um, one of my clients, Ben. He he was on like the meat and nuts diet before he came. <laughs> before we started working together, and he Classic. was like, "I'm happy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, from, which was advised to him by people at the gym, and he was really what, struggling. Wonder what to do gym that weight.
0: was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and. Um, and he said, Laura, he's like, I, I'm having these, like, terrible, like, sugar attacks in the evening. He's like, do you think I'm missing something from my diet? Um, you know, like, apart from carbs. But he just he he felt like he would go home every night and just binge on his daughter's sweets. Um, and it was happening all the time. And then we started doing some mindfulness practices. And he came back to me after, like, a couple of weeks and he said, I'm tired that's what I realized it is I'm so tired and instead of going to bed because he works really long hours he's got two daughters he's like it's nothing to do with hunger I'm so tired and instead of going to bed I'm trying to keep myself awake and I'm reaching for sugary foods and as soon as he started like just accepting that he was tired and going to bed like even though it was eight or nine o'clock like obviously completely not the problem on the head but until he kind of brought the awareness to it and started asking himself, like, am I hungry or not? Like, what's going on here? Mm. He didn't have... He would, literally thought it was some kind of, like, physiological problem, as in that he was, you know, he was like, am I deficient in iron or magnesium or, you know, yeah. or Haribase? Like, what's going on?
2: I guess it's that classic Facebook thing, like, you, you're you craving this, you're deficient in this, that that, mm. that image that seems to never go away and gets yeah. shared constantly. But that's no, yeah. interesting. That's cool. That's really cool to it, hear that
0: actually. It, is there any is there anyone where you think mindful eating wouldn't work? Or is there anyone alive you've just not used kind of the techniques on?
1: I think for some people like they're not they're not necessarily necessary. So some people that come to you and, you know, seem to kind of get things straight away and you know, clients where it's quite black or white, and I mean that in a good way. They're like, "Oh, I need to do that." Okay, off, I'll go off and do that, and and they just sort of get on with it and don't have any issues. Also, people that are, I guess, um, don't necessarily have weight problems. Probably, then what they would stand to benefit is maybe from enjoying their food more. But it's not something I would necessarily introduce to them. Equally, you can kind do mindfully mindful stuff with the other way it can work actually is if you have people who are like more athletic is kind of like about mindful meal choices. So kind of thinking about like what activities they've got that day and like what is best going to suit them because there can be that thing of like, um, I'm not eating enough even though for my activity and that can kind of be something else that comes up around my That Actually I'm having to overeat because I've got this particular sport or, you know, activity that I need to, yeah. to train for um so there is they're starting to use mindful eating techniques with athletes as well um that could be around like mindful meal planning and kind of just identifying like all the thoughts that come up around their eating choices and sort of working with some of those as well
0: yeah yeah i, I think like how, i'd like your opinion on something like so take someone like myself an example who again very much kind of follows the realms of um calo counting and macro counting I think one of the reasons it resonates so it's worked quite well for me personally over obviously a good number of time now is I've never felt I've had particularly good hunger signals, like natural hunger yeah. signals. And I guess a lot of this completely revolves around the stuff that we talked about. But I found like the macro count stuff kind of completely overrides that. So I've had a bit of a like, I suppose it is a bit of a personal bias, but like there's so many hyperpalatable foods out there. You know, there's so much yeah. kind of um, temptation and stuff. Like having numbers and stuff to stick to is, is is kind of overridden all of those natural kind of tendencies yeah. or hunger signals or all that sort of stuff. So, what's what your opinion, kind of, on that strategy technique, or does that make sense? I don't know if I've...
1: yes, I think so. I think the two need to work together, or are most powerful when they work together. Okay. So you can, um, I don't know if you remember that. I, what I went over in the talk is that the other reason I like my polluting is it. It is quite. So I'm going to say like science-based, but there is some empirical evidence. So it's been used in several clinical studies and shown that it helps to reduce the incidence of binge eating disorder and disordered relationships with food and for people to have more self-regulated eating and to be able to lose weight. However, when they first started looking into using mindful eating by itself they found that people didn't necessarily, the amount of like binging went down and the amount of like out of control eating went down, but they didn't, and these were in sort of overweight and obese people, but they didn't lose weight. Actually, in some cases they put it on. (laughs) And I think it kind of sent the message that if you're eating mindfully, it doesn't matter what you eat. Um, And so they then kind of started to add um, like what, i what they've kind of turned outer wisdom which is like all the stuff that you guys teach people about so this is the basics of, you know this is kind of the basics of like fat loss nutrition and these are the foods that help you feel full etc etc like this is a lot of carbs and stuff um and you so i think the two work together so you're teaching people to become more aware of their hunger and their satiety for all the triggers and reasons that they eat outside of hunger etc etc But on top of that, you're helping them to make the right choices as well by teaching them about calories. And um, I worked with a yoga teacher. So she's someone who had like a very, she was already pretty pretty mindful, but she said it was the two together that was really powerful for her. And you're using it in the same way. So you're giving people the information about macros and calories and then they get to use it in a way that suits them best. Um, And that's, again, like enabling conscious choice. So you might say, okay, you've got like X number of calories to use in a day. It's up to you how you use them. But obviously being mindful, they're going to want to choose the choices that are kind of going to make them feel the most satisfied and kind of, you know, keep their energy levels in an even keel and that type of thing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I think, um, <laughs> like, I guess I totally see, and I've seen this in other people, and and yeah, no, I totally see the point around kind of, you need both because obviously, using if it fits your macro style approach or flexible dieting with some people just doesn't work. Because if they've got kind of a, a predisposition or a tendency for any type of eating disorder, it can obviously be quite a huge trigger if they start focusing mm-hmm. on on kind of miniature detail. And I guess that's where the mindful eating bit comes in and does have, I suppose, that and the research you mentioned kind of completely proves that. You know, it might mm. stop some of these uh, episodes. So, kind of putting the two together, yeah, totally makes sense to me.
2: I'd, I'd like to see. Brett, do some sort of mindful eating without having to track it for once.
0: I've got a too big a streak on my fitness pal to, <laughs> I, mean, I tell you, I can't, I can't be late <laughs> I mean, that go. You, know, you could almost argue slightly slightly disordered there. Um,
1: but I think that. where the mindful eating is really nice is if you are giving like a client a diet break and one of the risks of this kind of diet break is that they just go all out nuts. And actually, if you're sort of talent, you know, if you're maybe one of the ways to use it is if they're having like a few days off, or if they're going out for a meal, it's not about them counting calories, but it's about them using like mindful eating practices. Mm. And then they've still got, they've kind of got freedom, but within guidelines. And I think that's really helpful as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot I've, you said tonight that I think, you know, I could use in my own, well, myself, let alone like my own practice. But yeah, definitely um, interesting, I guess, is why I want to get you on um having previously dismissed it before listening to the talk
1: (laughs) well it's funny because I think the I think the best person you can try it with is yourself and I know for me I was like oh yeah I I know when I you know eat when I'm stressed but what I also found is that like I eat when I'm excited as well like happy about stuff and I think you know I had no concept for me of like what it felt to stop before my plate was empty and so I've um, yeah I've learnt loads myself and now I certainly find myself when I'm going to the fridge and I'm like mm, am I hungry or like am I just needing a bit of you know do I need to just go for a walk around the block
2: yeah no I agree there I think um, I guess like that food for me previously has been like super stressed I'm going to eat or super happy let's go eat like <laughs> yeah. different different meals for each one like that's the dominoes and that's a steak <laughs> meal out or something but the, you know the the consequences potentially are the same so It's really interesting to um, kind of talk about that. And it's good that, I guess, Martin reached out to have you on board. So I think having someone like that speak at Martin's event means that we've, you know, you kind of got over some of that bias already. um, Mm. So buying from us, it was cool. And some of that stuff links into, um, Brizzle. who was the guy? I think it's Dr. Rob Young, the psychologist we had at the previous conference. And, some of the stuff he was saying which you just alluded to was you know going for a walk um it was kind of if this then that's the scenario so you know if you go to the fridge because you're hungry instead of doing that do this and then go back to it and see if you're hungry so I can almost see how that is leading down to the same kind of end end path yeah yeah they
1: work really well together do you remember that surfing the urge so I can send you like a a link for that as well but the surf the edge to the idea that when we get a craving, we just like give into to it straight away. So like, oh, I really want chocolate. Okay, I'm just—it's going to get so bad. I'm just going to go out and get it right now. I'm, in fact, I'm going to get two bars and just you know slam them down and it, it was—it
2: it was you that was talking about surfing the wave or surfing the surf, air yeah, yeah surf the
1: urge. To my client's <laughs> I would say she was like, "I've been surfing the urge so much, I need a wetsuit." But um, she, <laughs> the idea is that you, um, you know, like rather than just giving into it, you basically surf the urge. So you kind of, well, you can do it two ways. Like you notice where the feeling is. Like, is it, you know, like in your chest? Like, where in your body? Or is it kind of just mental? Uh, in your head all the thoughts and then yeah you you kind of distract yourself or you kind of surf out and this comes from addiction therapy which showed this is working with people who had like alcohol drug addiction um which showed that on average a craving like lasts no longer than 30 minutes like it peaks and then it just dies away and so if you can get your clients to like engage in another activity for that long they will find that it passes and I think that's really empowering for them as well because the con- the idea that we have is that we get this craving and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and therefore I'm just going to just give into it now. But if you can get them to ride it out, then they'll see that usually the intensity of it, just it goes and yeah, sometimes yeah. much quicker than 30 minutes yeah. as well.
0: I'm glad you brought that because um, that was going to be something I wanted to, to raise because that really stood out for me. I remember Spencer tweeted about it or yeah. posted out about it afterwards because I thought actually that's that's actually a really cool technique because... I can resonate with it as well because, in practice, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I wouldn't even necessarily I did it mindfully, but there's been times where I've been really craving something, and for one reason or another, I haven't been able to even give in. You know, I might be not, not near a shop to get chocolate, say, and afterwards, mm. kind of like, I've forgotten about it. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah. That I don't even want it now. It's kind of. Yeah.
1: You know, well, have you ever had that experience where, like, you're about to go for seconds and, like, I don't know, someone rings, and yeah. then after the phone call, you're like, I'm not even hungry anymore. Like, yeah, it's exactly. gone. Yeah, exactly. yeah I, so it's I get that.
2: Like get that exact thing at work, actually. So, like, again probably after this after this podcast i might change some of this behavior but i'm a, a religious half 11 lunch eater um, but if i have a meeting that goes over that i get well first off i get annoyed and angry uh, but secondly i you know if that meeting goes on to like half 12 one then generally i don't really get hungry again until like two or three mm. um like you said you just you just you stop thinking about it and i guess get out that ingrained habit
1: yeah and it's interesting that once they've done it once once or twice they're like oh right okay so it's possible and again like they may not always kind of just surf the whole thing but it's a technique to try um and I find it like it works really well so mm-hmm. something else you can try yourself or with clients
0: absolutely I think it's a really good technique to maybe end that part on unless you've got anything else you mm. wanted to bring up let say
1: no I was gonna say the, one of the books i uh, that I recommended to you guys as well if anyone's kind of interested in, it, in a more structured approach is called The Joy of Half a Cookie. So it is an American title uh I say already been on
0: Amazon. Already been on No mate, Amazon. it's it's sold out on Amazon after I know. you
2: recommended the conference. <laughs> there were six copies left and they all went. But I have I have got it. Um,
1: <coughs> yeah there's a few there's a few kind of uh inserts in the book that i can send you guys that are kind of quite useful as well but that it, it kind of lays out the mind polluting approach in a really structured way but i think any of the techniques that we talked about now w- would be really useful to try either like with yourself or with the clients so
2: yeah we'll make sure to get ed to stick that in the show notes for the um i've got the book i haven't started to really i will get around to that shortly but yeah amazon sold out straight away
0: Shame. Shame. So thank you ever so much. However, there is another part though. So for all of our special guests, we do like to take it away from nutrition no. slightly and have a, a few, <laughs> few little questions at the end, if you don't mind. They're, not, they're nothing yes. too, too crazy. You'll um, call
1: me about this. Now I'm nervous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, no, they're, they're, they're reasonably funny questions, but well, it depends okay. on your, an, your answers, I suppose. So <laughs> first one's quite easy. So what is your favourite flexible food? So, um,
1: it's a good question.
0: What's the one go-to kind of junk treat meal? I won't use the word cheat um, You know, just kind I probably of...
1: do. I do really love pizza, but I'm a bit of a pizza snob, like living in London. So I think it would have to be like one of the fancy, pizzas with no, topping, So, but no, like I'm I'm a Londoner, so where would you go in London? Uh, I'd probably go to Sodo in Clapton, which oh. is like... Uh, sourdough pizza. Yeah. yeah, sourdough pizza. Snobby pizza, sorry.
0: <laughs> that is cool, cool. No, good answer, good answer. Okay, um, what was the best burger joint you've ever visited? Now, again, being in London, you have mm-hmm. spoiled for choice. Well, you are spoiled for choice, say. So.
1: Yeah... Probably, Do you know. I'm trying to think. I don't even know who it's by. But it would have been one of Street Feast, like one of these. Yeah. I want to say.
0: Have like Hawker House there one of there, like the there. dirty.
1: Yeah, and Dirty Burger. Yeah. And a double kind of. If you have a look on Street Feast on Instagram, like some of their pictures are delicious. <laughs>
0: What's the one you like, Brett, in London? We went to the other day. Uh, five, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, not five guys, Christ, no. Uh, obviously, Bleecker Street, it's the only one in London. <laughs> Bri- Brizzle, like you or a pizza, is a bit of a burger snob. Like. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. I yeah. Am. I mean, like, I don't, I, I do like a good burger, but I have to say, I don't eat potato, not because of anything to do with the carbs, just because. Um, I think I've got like a bit of a psychological aversion because it used to make me sick when I was younger. So, oh, really, now oh, okay. I can't stand like chips. I always feel slightly cheated that I only get to have half of them. Can, can
0: you not like reintroduce yeah. it? Is it is that just completely off limits?
1: Yeah. Mindfully reintroduce it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like a textural thing. So, you know, like the like potatoes quite a it's so weird. <laughs> I mean, like I hate any like mash would be the worst okay. not that I thought about it but if anyone was going like, to challenge me to eat any type of potato that would be the worst
0: I don't think I've ever heard anyone have that aversion to potato actually most people absolutely love potatoes I
1: know. normally people feel they get really upset and I sort of say well I mean it's beneficial for you because if you sit next to me at a roast dinner then I would like happily yeah. sort of venture for roast yeah roast potatoes
0: yeah. and, and, yeah, and it's like number one on satiety index
1: Man.
0: <laughs> no. Poor potatoes. I I think that's
2: made up. I, I still maintain that, <laughs> that. It's flawed because if you've no, you ever seen like it. Have,
1: My best friend at uni, he used to, his dad used to be a potato farmer, so he was like, you can never come for tea. Oh. You. You're like the biggest salt.
0: Okay. <laughs> Moving on. What's the, and this doesn't have to be nutritional, by the way, what's the best okay. piece of advice you've ever been given? And it can be nutritional, but it doesn't have to be. So
1: I know mm. that's, that's mm-hmm.
0: quite a big question. So, Few people take a take a few seconds if you need.
1: I would say, I mean, what we're talking about before we came on the podcast was um, not my monkeys, not my circus, which is like a focus on the things that you can control it's so easy and this probably applies to nutrition as well to get kind of caught up with mm. you know outside worries and, and the, the external things that you can't control and um, which probably won't even matter in like one day's time let alone five days or the rest of your life so i think focus on what you focus on what's in your control and don't worry about anything else it's probably the best advice it's very stoic
0: yeah. good advice i think easier said than done living in london though
1: yeah, I know. Tell me about it.
0: <laughs> Especially when you're walking down the street and no one will get out your way. It's like oh. that's why I could never live in London. That's literally because, the sole reason. Yeah. So when... you
1: after you've been here a while, you become definitely more impatient. So um, I, when my parents have it's very quiet, and you would maybe wait for a bus and not even know if it would turn up. And in London, you know, see more than two minutes on the tube, on the tube board. You, you feel, yeah. I'm
2: sure. I'm rage. sure the, the lads on the podcast know that about me, actually, because. When we went to the conference, so we went to the gym and I flaked out. But I was getting very agity about us being late for food. Uh, I thought it was hangry. Well, it's probably a bit, a bit of, of both. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: bit it's a real L- thing.
2: That London thing, yeah.
0: Right, I've I've got one more question. And it's, I'm not going to ask our usual one because I think it's a bit done by now. So uh, I'm going to move on to a different one. So what – well, actually, there's – yeah, no, I'm going to pick this one. Sorry, there's two I was going to choose one, but I think one we're already done because one I was going to ask you is, uh, is there anything you ever dislike for no reason? But quite clearly, that's potato. So <laughs> yeah. um, what food would mm. be the best to make a house out of?
1: Um, ginger biscuits.
0: Ginger biscuits. Hansel and Gretel style. I like
1: it. <laughs> but I was also just, yeah, I was thinking about how they're like quite tough, but not when it rains. Like you need to live somewhere hot. Okay. maybe they go
0: soft that's quite a deep psychological question because I'm trying to work out because obviously it depends what angle people go from because a lot of people might go oh <laughs> I'm going to make it out of burgers because obviously I love burgers I can eat my way through it whereas you're thinking more structurally yeah so yeah, so yeah that says a lot about someone's mind <laughs> I <think>. might
1: you <laughs> or maybe I just really love ginger biscuits <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: that's what I'm sorry excuse me that's what my <laughs> wife ate <laughs> when she was pregnant literally for the first three <laughs> months all she ate was ginger biscuits such a good stomach. So, well, no. I um, just want to say a big thank you for coming on again, Laura. I'd like, I did hunt you down after the conference and say how um, how much I really enjoyed the uh, talk, and I think hopefully all the listeners will really enjoy the stuff that you've, yeah. you've gone through now. And I think
2: during during the talk, we were actually uh, we should have been paying more attention, but we were on our <laughs> phone WhatsApp and saying should we try and get Laura on the podcast? So.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. It's like definitely, I would say, benefited my practice massively, and I think. I'm not saying, like I said, it would be right for everybody, but it certainly managed, helped me to help a few clients that I kind of previously thought I couldn't, you know, couldn't support them anymore. So that's always a really nice feeling. So sure. hopefully you guys all have some ideas. And if you do, like, have any good experiences, or good or bad, or questions, then, like, um, tag me on social media. Like, I always love to hear about it. And I'm mm. in the process of trying to put together, like, a mindful Eating course next year, like, an online thing. So, Cool. Uh, yeah, just give me a follow and let me know how you get on.
0: It's, um, so, if people want to find out more about you and ask you questions, yes. so do you want to shout out your socials, websites, and anything you want to plug?
1: Yeah. So, so like the socials, it's so terrible. Like, my, you know, when you, I think we were talking about this, when you made your social name like yeah. so long ago, and now no one can spell it. <laughs> but it's uh, Nutri Tilty. So, it's N U T R I T I L T Y. So nutri as in nutrition and tilty as in something, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, that's what they say, and I'm like, eh. yeah, nutri tilty, <laughs> and that's the same on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And there's links to my website there, but most of most stuff I link to from those, so
0: cool. And don't forget your podcast, shout
1: out, yes, and the gut loving podcast on uh iTunes, it's probably most of interest for anyone who's got IBS, but I think we're on so yeah I think I think we've done about half a dozen now so it's going to be it's like demystifying IBS because one in five of us suffer from it and they're just kind of going through like all the options medications diet treatment and also the low FODMAP diet which is the specialist diet for IBS so yeah do you give us a listen if if that's of interest to you guys and thanks for having me on
0: no thank you thank you so um yeah hopefully you're going to be at the next conference if there's one well when the next one is so that sort of thing or
1: yeah i hope so i've uh had a chat to martin and sort of uh, it's really nice actually because obviously he's doing great work and i can certainly tell i haven't been in the mentoring lab that you guys um really switched on and you asked really interesting questions so it's kind of uh it's cool for me to be part of that so hopefully i'll be doing some more stuff with you in the future
0: yeah cool should be good to obviously uh catch up again but we'll definitely get you back on and we'll do another episode as yeah. you say on specifically on ibs and and low fodmap stuff so
1: Yes, definitely. Cool. We'll have a good evening, guys. Yeah, you too. Thank, Thank you, you so much.
0: See so, yeah, Bye-bye. Push, thanks, I've got to push thanks, the bye-bye. button, haven't I? So. You've pushed the, <laughs> the button, Don't forget the button.
1: Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.